Hold on to your butts. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Reviewed Movie Podcast. I am Ivan Kander, and as always, I am joined by my two handsome debonair co-hosts, Dave Glanz and Mike Randy. Say hello, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. And today we have a special guest, well, with the clicking, uh, we have a special guest joining us all the way from the internet. Uh, Matt Kelly is joining us. He is the host of the Horror Movie Night podcast on the Geekscape Podcast Network. Say hello, Matt. Hello, gentlemen. There you go. You're supposed to say hello, Matt. You're supposed to say hello, Matt. Hey, hey, it's free form. I like it. And uh, this is the podcast where we talk about classic movies in a modern cinematic context. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the 1984 film A Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, directed by Wes Craven. But before we get into that, if this is the first time listening to this show, you can find us on the web at reviewedpodcast.com, at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast, and you can email us at contact at reviewedpodcast.com. So with all that uh, stuff out of the way, let's move into uh, a little bit of the trailer from Wes Craven's um, A Nightmare on Elm Street. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet. But something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. You're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy, there's something wrong with you. You're imagining things. Nightmare on Elm Street. Do you believe in the boogeyman? No. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. So obviously I'm choosing this uh, movie for a variety of reasons. One, it's you know turning fall, so it's getting to that great horror movie season. Uh, and two, Wes Craven, uh, the iconic director, recently passed away. Um, so And three, I think there's going to be a reboot. I saw this week in the news that there is. There could be. There yeah, already yeah, yeah. There well, already was. Well, the actor was talking about reprising his role. The guy, oh. who actually, the original guy who played Freddy uh, Krueger. Robert oh, Robert Englund. Yes, yeah. that guy. Um, so, um, sorry, old oh, news. Sorry, we didn't know. Um, so this, uh, that obviously very topical movie, and also very relevant because I've uh, shamefully have never seen this film ever. Hmm. Um, I'm guessing hmm. Mike has never seen it because he's never watched <laughs> a movie before. And Dave, I'm guessing you probably have. Well, he's watched at least 45 movies. <laughs> <laughs> at least 45. And Dave, you've seen it, right? Yes. yes. But I want to start with Matt because Matt hosts a show all about horror movies. He's an expert on the subject. So I want to ask you, Matt, starting out, what is your connection with this film? Um, did you grow up watching it? Um, a. And B, why is this movie important in the history of horror films. Is it well, important? Let's talk about it. All right. So, so for me, a, a little bit of my horror horror background, and um, from from what I've learned from talking to a lot of people, that this is not uh, too far from a lot of other people's experiences. Is that I was both fascinated and terrified of horror as a child. So, like, I was terrified to actually rent horror movies. But every time we went to the Blockbuster or the local mom and pop shop, I had to walk through that aisle and look at those covers and kind of imagine like what worlds were hidden inside those boxes. Um, And it really wasn't until I saw Scream uh, when I was in junior high that I suddenly 
felt this this desire to to track down every single horror film that I could get my hands on from that point on. And Nightmare on Elm Street was pretty early on there because Freddy was one of the scariest of the slashers to me. I was I remember uh, watching a TV special with my mom where they showed a clip from Freddy Krueger and I was like, I gotta go. I'm done. I can't. I can't. Like, I was just like, that guy is scary as hell. I'm out of here. Indiana Jones? <laughs> so, so then when I finally saw the movie, uh, it was at a friend's house, sleepover. He, he had the whole Nightmare on Elm Street series on VHS and we watched the first three movies and that's a, that's a real up, down, up um, <laughs> in quality. Uh, but this first film, I think, is insanely important and popular and well-liked because not only is this movie uh, a, a very unique, very original horror film that deals with a very scary idea of being hunted down and tracked in the one place where you can't get away, which is your subconscious. But on top of that, this film is also super important because it's a film that no studio believed would work. And Wes Craven tried to sell this film for years unsuccessfully. And the only person who was interested was New Line Cinema. And at that time, New Line Cinema was just a distributor. They had maybe produced four or five movies at this point. And New Line Cinema, most people don't know this, is called The House That Freddy Built. Because The Nightmare on Elm Street was such a huge success that it suddenly gave this distribution company reason to be seen as an actual production company. And they would churn out these Freddy movies all day, every day. I, I think it was literally for like four or five years there was a Freddy film every year. Right. That, um, that kind of happens with uh, successful horror films, right? They do one exactly. every year until they just run out of steam. Until they, <laughs> until they run out of steam. And uh, sometimes well after they've run out of steam, they keep going. <laughs> Um, and and I always I always attach to Freddy because when you're a horror fan, you the kills are part of the appeal of of the viewing. And Freddy also has again because of that scary element that you're in the subconscious and you're in the one place where you can't escape. Um, it also means that th that your imagination is limitless. Whereas like you know Jason can just come up and he can stab you. Michael Myers can stab you. Freddy can turn you into a fucking cockroach if he wants to, because he did in one of the movies. <laughs> Literally, whatever you can imagine is a possibility, and that also makes it all the more terrifying in when you really break it down and think about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna switch over to Mike. Mike is our our uh, he would be the one who survives the horror movie because he's the <laughs> horror virgin, and he um, he uh, I'm really curious to get his take because as I was watching this, all I could think was Mike Mirandi is going to hate this movie. That's all I could think. <laughs> I, I couldn't even concentrate on that. But bearing on what Matt just said about why this movie is important and how it had such a big effect on the Hollywood system, and uh, created this iconic character of Freddy Krueger, probably one of the top. I would say probably one of the top five most recognizable horror villains of all time. Um, Mike, what was your experience in watching this film? Um, <laughs> uh, I liked it more than you thought I would. Okay. <laughs> That's not to say I loved it. Uh, I'm just not much for horror movies in general. Um, it's just not, not my thing, not my genre. Um, that being said, uh, so like the f opening 30 seconds where you see him crafting his like razor gloves and hear him like breathing heavily. I'm like, I'm going to hate this. This is going to be creepy and 
horrific and uh, and it was and it definitely was I'm not saying it wasn't but I feel like there's a little bit more to it than just you know gruesome slasher kind of movie that's usually what I don't like um there's a lot more imagination I think of creativity um not necessarily <laughs> in a non-terrifying way it was all pretty you know but they I think they had a lot of leeway because they're dealing with the world of dreams they could go to very strange weird um bizarre places like one thing that just sticks in my mind is when she's like running up the stairs at one point and her, her feet are going through the stairs into what looks like marshmallow <laughs> <laughs> like stuff like the that old marshmallow just, stairs, right? <laughs> 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 Happen, happens all the time but i think like that kind of stuff is i think what what's makes movies stand out for me more than anything else is just the the uniqueness of um what they could do because it was all in the subconscious world and i think what is so terrifying about it is it's the idea of like uh, the unlimited possibilities of dreams and everything that can happen and like you know we've all been trapped in dreams we've all had nightmares we kind of all understand that so then it taps into something very very primal and very like instinctual um that said i feel like there's uh i, I the story is a little flimsy for me i think the, the rules surrounding freddie like how he can like you know what his limits on power is kind of like a little nebulous at points um mythology was like a little weak i thought um but I mean, overall, not for a horror movie, not not bad. Um, you know, I, I think I could pass it. Pass it. Oh, one more thing. I I know you guys. I, it seems like everyone's gonna think that Freddy's like terrifying, and he is in certain certain scenes. But the, why the sweater? Like I, like why the weird hat? Well, there's one point where he's so, like she's shambling after the girl. I think it's so, Tina right before he kills Tina. He's like shambling after her. And cold winters there. So so there is an origin story to Freddy's look, actually. Um, I, I should point out one of the other reasons why I was excited to do this particular movie is that there's a documentary called Never Sleep Again. It's a four and a half hour long documentary <laughs> about a, about the serious? entire franchise and how uh, it affected the Hollywood system. And I've watched it seven times. Wow. So, um, I, <laughs> That's I, a lot I think of hours. It's, yeah, it's a fascinating documentary. But um, the, the history behind his look is actually uh, from a memory of when Wes Craven was a kid. He was having trouble sleeping, and he just heard this creepy noise outside, and he peeked out the window, and it was a homeless man wearing the striped sweater and hat pushing a cart. And he said, I was looking out the window, and the, the, the guy stopped, and he just stared straight at me. He's like, and I closed the windows, and then I opened them up like three minutes later, and the old man was just still staring at me, and uh, then started laughing and walked away. And he had that sweater? And he had that sweater and, and hat. He had and he's the like, claws too, right? Yeah, and he's like, and that just—he's like, that just burned into my head. Is like, that's who he thinks Freddie is—is this creepy, weird old man who gets off on terrifying people. He's mm-hmm. like, because that's all that man did was he just was happy that he scared a little kid and then walked off. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I've heard different things about his origin story. Wes Craven came from a troubled childhood, where I think he had an abusive father. Um, I, I'm reading this from other sources, so like, I could be wrong. But you didn't get this from him directly. Well, he passed away, so no. Well, before that, but <laughs> no, um, he had an abusive father, so he um, he was kind of fascinated by this idea of uh, of abuse. And also, um, I don't know if you've heard this, Matt, but he believes isn't he said red and green are the two colors that are the most clashing in the color spectrum when put together. Or the, yeah, the, I believe the, it. Yeah, those shades together. So he horrific in, in, instinctively. He, which is which is crazy because that's, those are Christmas colors, which I think is really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's uh, like a thing that uh, you know your eye immediately feels like a little bit of like distaste or disgust when you see that. Like it doesn't quite work. Like it shouldn't be red and green. It feels wrong. Um, so that's it's one of those 
reasons as well. But Dave, I feel like I've neglected you. Um, before I get into my thoughts of the film after viewing it for the first time, what are your thoughts about Freddy Krueger and um, this film? Uh, well, growing up, I was never, I never really watched these movies. I mean, I think I ended up seeing that Marin Elm Street much later on on video. I mean, I, 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 I'd heard of the sequels. I'm stumbling over my words here because I, I, you know, I don't have that much to say about Nightmare on Elm Street. I gotta oh. say, I, well, oh. I, <laughs> uh, not a fan. Well, that's it's, why I brought somebody else on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's well, fine. Maybe, we're maybe, good, Dave. I mean, maybe the words will spill out here as we as we. Uh, I'm continue. sure they will. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I have to, I have to think that when you watch a horror movie, it's uh, sometimes there's just an objective fact as as an adult when you see something. It's not going to scare you the same way as it might have 30 years ago, like mm-hmm. at the same age, because uh, movies are constantly trying to one up each other, right? So that's like that's just like the, the inherent nature of movies. It's that's why last the last movie we did, The Witness for the Prosecution, courtroom dramas gradually got more interesting. They would try something different. They would try something new, and uh, just like with horror movies, you know, they're constantly trying to change the way they scare you and change the way, um, you know, uh, change what makes them effective. And uh, what might be effective in 1984 isn't necessarily going to be that effective now. Um, so, for instance, Freddy chasing... Uh, so this movie essentially is just about a group of kids that live in a small Midwestern town, and they all have the same dream about Freddy Krueger, this, uh, this, the boogeyman. He's essentially the boogeyman, um, uh, chasing them in their dreams and trying to kill them. And um, that's the concept, right? They can't escape because they're dreaming, so you, you can't fall asleep. And anyone who's ever had insomnia knows that it's a terrifying thing. I mean, I think if, if anything really works about this movie, uh, for me, it's, it's uh, getting to the heart of how terrifying just not being able to, like, sleep is this, supposed to be this comforting thing, you know? There's, like, no escape. Yeah, right, there's, there's no like, way. The, the ability to, the, uh, the being terrified of going to sleep is, uh, that, that to me is a terrifying concept. Freddy Krueger, the character, is... You know, it, it might have been terrifying. Maybe it's terrifying to kids. Is something wrong with them? Do I have it backwards? Yes. Oh, oh, God. Sorry, everybody. I had the mic turned backwards. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Classic Dave Glass. Ah, that was Freddy Krueger turning it around. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so try to get back on track here. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the movie itself, I, I think it's well-made. It's creative. It's interesting, but it's not necessarily, at least for me, effective anymore as a horror movie the way a movie like um and, and just to just to compare it to something i went back and watched uh, halloween in the past couple of days and that's a movie that's that uh you know that holds up that, that really holds up as something legitimately terrifying and i think it's in the filmmaking i think Wes craven's more of um of an imaginative filmmaker than a than a skilled filmmaker at least at this point in his career and i think that uh john carpenter when he was making halloween was a much more skilled filmmaker in addition to being imaginative. So, uh, and, and, and I, I think you would play, th- I, I like to think of the trifecta of slasher, early slasher horror films as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Elm Street, and, and Halloween. And I think the other two, uh, the I think, I think uh, yeah, I guess Friday the 13th too. Although that's never really been considered, you won't, you won't see good reviews for that movie. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't that well reviewed at the time, but it's, you know, in, um, you know, years later, it's been reevaluated as like a horror classic, and and, and Halloween at the time was actually critically acclaimed, and Texas, and same with Ch- I think T- Texas uh, Chainsaw Massacre too, um, but Friday Thirteenth, I mean, it's really not that good of a movie. Uh, well, well, I would say these three are at least good, solid movies. Nightmare on Elm Street is a good movie, but it's not, uh, 
you know, it's hard it's hard for me to say that this kind of movie is scary anymore. I mean, the music it doesn't really work as well as other horror movie music. Uh, oh, I, I would disagree with that. I actually. think I disagree with that. Just, as well. just because it's not memorable, it, it's definitely not like a, a memorable hum along. Like it's not Halloween. like Halloween's theme. Yeah, it's not but, that it, it's not I that it's not memorable. What, it, it's this. It's, it's just that there there's there's one scene in particular where it's practically. And, and my wife was watching this with me, and she t- she typically would get easily scared by horror movies, and instead she was laughing because the music was kind of this dance synth pop kind of kind of thing i mean oh well i mean that's that's the <laughs> 80s, oh, no, no, though, but, I mean. but freddie but i think freddie's theme the actual little piano piece that plays i like because from a because i'm also a, a musician from a musical standpoint it purposely does a thing where it plays what you think would be a normal melody and then purposely plays the completely wrong note and it does that intentionally because it creates this, uh, again, with the idea of a dream, it creates this feeling of unease where you think you can predict where this is going, and then it throws this curve in the actual melody that plays throughout the film. Well, I guess um, I, I still, um, Matt, before I give you, before I give my thoughts, I, I'm curious, when you, uh, I know you're a fan of this movie, but are you genuinely scared by it, though? Like as a horror I, movie, I am very, uh, very rarely am I ever genuinely scared by a movie anymore. But <laughs> it's a fun, the the Freddy films. I, I mean, I think that's the thing that people misinterpret sometimes is like most slasher films at this point, they are not really designed for the fear. It's designed for uh, Freddy is the perfect party movie, especially. Uh, the that's a good way to put one. it. Yeah, the third one, Dream Warriors. You pop in that movie, you got a docking soundtrack. You got some over-the-top kills, and it's, you know, a group of friends with some beers, some pizzas, and you're just having a good time. You're laughing at the Freddy jokes. You're you're still impressed by how good some of the special effects look after, you know, 20, 30 years, and you're just having a good time with friends. It's definitely not a film that you pop on because you want to not be able to go to bed at night. That's I think that I'm really glad to hear you say that because in watching this for the first time, a couple things stood out to me. One, um, I love the imagination in this movie. My favorite thing about it is the creativity behind the kills. Like you said earlier, you know, Freddie can do more things than just stab somebody. Um, so that alone is why I, I enjoyed the movie, but I was never scared by it. As a, a you know, and maybe that has something to do with the effects or the film being dated or references feeling dated or the fact that we have become so accustomed to horror movie tropes and how this movie hits so many of them, whether it be teenagers in a Midwestern town, whether it be sex as this idea of something that's evil, like anyone who has sex dies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, even even the fact that there's you know kids singing a, a, a nursery song or a childhood song creepily like there's a lot of those kind of cliches but there is so much imagination in the kills and like you said Matt the special effects really do impressively hold up practically like the part where he's coming through the ceiling looks great still yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, the the part where she's going through the stairs looks great still some of them don't hold up as so well the the phone gag I don't think quite holds up quite as well <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no um, but, the but long again, arms to, the long the long <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah, but you have to also factor in that what what I also love about this movie when you watch it is that it's a very imaginative film. And if you look, the budget was only 1.8 mil, mm-hmm. and they made that 1.8 mil really stretch out with creativity and coming. Like, yeah, you can kind of see the you know the the zipper. Like, it's one of those things where wait, you can kind of see the zipper? zipper. You can see the you can oh. see the whole cut in the floor where the where the goop is on the stairs. Right. You can see right. those things, but that's also kind of the fun and the charm because. I mean, that's isn't that part of what well, we I love get, about a low-budget film? And I think that's what people sometimes forget is 
the first Freddy movie is an indie film. Yeah. It's it's not a big budget horror movie. It's an indie film. It's a small, tiny indie film. And that's kind of the fun of even when you watch something like a Clerks or or uh, you know a Dazed and Confused or any of those '90s indie films that were more of the the uh, dramedies, is that you like seeing how you could have done this yourself. Absolutely, yeah. There's, there's a scrappy nature to this movie that, that really kind of endears you to it. Um, I mean, I guess, I, real briefly, the remake that came out, I can't remember, in 2009 or 2010. Yeah, um, Jack Harlow Haley. So, it, yeah. so it, that, that movie just doesn't work because of, it doesn't have this kind of charm to it. It doesn't have the, the right? Is, is that basically it, what it, it doesn't have the charm to it, and Freddy kills every single victim in that movie by just jumping up and stabbing them with his claws. There's no imaginative dream sequences. There's no weird, crazy stuff. It's literally just a, a just plain, ordinary slasher film that happens to take place in a dream. Well, let's be honest. If you had those claws, that's probably how you would kill people. <laughs> yeah, but I mean... It, <laughs> underused. It, underused in this it movie. It still feels super underused in <laughs> sure. the sense of, you know, like, especially when you watch the, the future sequels where be them good or bad. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Um, I would actually really like to hear your guys take uh, maybe for a future next next Halloween, uh, taking a look at Wes Craven's new nightmare. I just watched that today. Yeah, the actually. most meta. And that is probably my favorite of all of them, actually. Yeah, it's it's a fantastically meta film, and it the it's it's interesting because unlike a lot of other slasher films where it's pretty much a steady decline from from the beginning. The first movie is pretty good, and then it just gets progressively worse because of the freedom to be crazy and weird. Even the worst Freddy movie still has these really cool imaginative moments in them where you go like, oh, that was think, that was unique. That was cool. That I was think that's the saving grace to almost any horror franchise, though, like the Final Destination movies. I mean, they may be bad movies, but they at least come up with these interesting Rube Goldberg contraptions, you know, exactly. as far as and killing then, people. Or, or Paranormal Activity has to come up with interesting ways to, like, do very little with, you know, like do a lot, a, with, little. Do a lot with little. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and something like Saw, for instance, has to do, I guess, a similar. I never actually saw. Well, <laughs> um, you never actually. I think I saw some of the saw. first one. I never saw the Saw movies. <laughs> um, so um, real quickly, I have a couple of the talking points I want to get into. But out of curiosity, and we'll go around Robin. I'll start with Mike. What was the last movie that you saw that you were legitimately scared by? Like actually frightened by? Like huh. it actually felt terror. Um, and I can think of a couple um, in my own head that actually scared me. But um. man, I, I terror. I, I don't. I don't think I really. I mean, aside from being like a like a ten year old, I, I don't. I can't really think of anything. Okay, that Mike, been, you're very brave. Matt. I'm such a brave man. No, no, no. Let me finish. I, I don't. I don't. I, but I'm saying like this movie. I think the closest I come to now is being disturbed by something. Okay. And this movie definitely had a, note, a couple of note. Like there's like and and. I generally don't like that feeling, so I usually get like, all right, all right. And it's like the blood geyser in the kid's room. Like, that was, that <laughs> Johnny, was a bit Johnny much. Johnny Depp. Johnny yeah, Depp. Right, Johnny Depp. I could think of Glenn. I couldn't, Glenn's <laughs> room. Yeah, Johnny Depp, by the way. <laughs> like, he's yeah. five years old. Amazing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, stuff like that. Like, I, I, I get very easily disturbed by that kind of stuff. But then, generally, I don't like gore. I don't I'm like I'm just going to list stuff, off so. some movies. Okay, The Blair Witch Project. Did you Never see saw that one? it. Uh, that the, scared you? The Shining. I'm just, I'm just going to say, I'm not saying I haven't ones. seen The Shining. The no. Shining. Uh, Let's play a game of which ones I've seen first. The, the Ring. The nope. Ring. No. Haven't seen The Ring. Ring genu oh, genuinely scared me. I saw the videotape video of The Ring, and uh -huh. that scared the hell out of me, actually. What's that, the videotape video? It's like the, the video from The Ring. just watching the video in The Ring. Oh. You watched the video inside the movie, and that's 
scared no, you. No, no, no. Somebody had the yeah, right. Somebody had a copy of the actual like video that was used in the in the film, and they played. I don't know what I was what I, what I was looking at. It was on like a tape in my um, uh, television studio in high school, and I remember playing. And I was like, "What is it?" And it was just so weird that I couldn't sleep that night at all. Like it was so. Te- so I guess that's actually probably the last thing I could think of that was really that bad. Matt, for someone like you who's probably so desensitized to horror at this point, is there a time recently that you can remember being actually scared when watching a movie? Well, here's, I mean, here's an important thing that you should remember uh, when, when talking with me about horror in general is that uh, on, on most of the websites that I do anything with, I have gotten the name, the proprietor of everything that's shit because that's a good time. <laughs> I, that's, because yeah. I love the schlock. Like, uh, like, I don't really go into horror movies that much for the scare. I go in for it like, you know, like, yes, I appreciate the art of of the shining and the exorcist and and these movies that are considered these terrifying classics i'll maybe watch them once every couple years but you know you give me toxic avenger and i'll watch that like 17 times in one year because i just like the cheese factor and i like (laughs) hanging out with people and laughing and having a good time watching like a subpar film um but i will say that as there's not films that necessarily scare me but there are moments in movies that really make me uneasy uh and one of the big ones was uh, recently for the podcast we had to rewatch um the evil dead remake that came out about two years ago mm. and that movie's not necessarily scary but it really pushes the limit on on violence um and it it really there there were definitely points where you know i've been watching these films for 15 years and there were still points where i was like i i have to look away like i can't really handle what they're showing me on the screen right now um but yeah, I, I think it's more there's moments where where you kind of get caught up in the story and you have that little bit of tension where you're like, oh, this this couldn't this might not go well. But uh, as far as being like genuinely scared. Um, so you haven't been, been to a movie in, at all in the past, like, say, 10 years where you're like, like, like so. So like the most uncomfortable, the most uncomfortable and it's not even that the movie is necessarily good. It was the circumstances was uh, I moved so so to to bring the mood down. Um, my, my aunt died about two years ago and I moved into her house, uh, to help my family pay off the rent. Mm -hmm. And the first film that I watched the first night that I was here was The Conjuring. That's what I was going to say. That was what I was going to say, man. (laughs) You stole my answer. You stole my answer. And that is a movie where ghosts, uh, are stuck in a house as a family's moving in the first night. So like, it's literally dark in the house. I haven't like put in new light bulbs so half the light bulbs are burn out throughout the house and I'm watching this film where people are bringing in boxes into a house as I'm bringing boxes into a house yeah. and like it was very well I'm thought out was like this done on purpose or this in a house was, and no. hearing every little sound of the house settling just it it's, was a it was a tough night it's very funny that you, <laughs> it's very funny that you mentioned that because the conjuring is the, one of the most recent examples of yeah. a horror movie that actually genuinely scared me I think that's a very good movie actually mm-hmm. I think it's one of the better I think it I don't feel like that movie got enough credit critically for being as good as it is. Um, it was pretty quickly acclaimed. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty well received, yeah. actually. And then the other, yeah, <laughs> but still, it's the, I feel like it kind of just faded in and out. And we, we, like we, it was a very popular movie, but maybe not as as uh, thought of at the end of the year. No. As like when, one of the when ten was best. That? When was this? Last year, I believe. Oh, a couple years ago. Oh. Two years ago. Yeah. Uh, the other one recently that I saw that creeped me out because it was so different about how it handled tension and scares was a movie called It Follows, which I'm sure you've I've seen. heard about this. Uh, yeah. Have you seen that movie, Matt? I 
didn't like It Follows, and it I, I've explained this at least once on the podcast uh, before, but we said um, it basically it it's one of those movies that I think is a perfect film except for the script, and <laughs> and like that that's like my biggest issue is I just feel like, and I, I mean super hi- hypocritical that I'm about to say this as I'm praising. Uh, Nightmare on Helm Street, but I feel like it follows, <laughs> creates a bunch of rules, and then refuses to follow the rules. No, that I, created. I I agree <laughs> that there are issues with that movie. I'm just talking about moments. There are moments of genuine tension in that movie that oh, yeah. definitely freak and me it's, out. It's beautifully shot. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. it's but, one of those movies that I wish I liked more because it's beautifully shot. It's well acted. Like, like I said, everything works except for the script, and then that just makes it infuriating to watch because I'm sitting there. Like screaming at the TV, like well, that movie is a nod to all these movies that we're talking about, like yeah, Halloween and it and takes place in the middle. Shot it before. Why do you think a gun is going to work again? Like, what is going on? Well, like, the it's so angry. Well, the um, I mean, you know, looping back to Friday. I mean, sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, um, yeah, I mean, the tropes that this Friday, Nightmare on Elm Street establishes are very much present and it follows, and they're they're, they're the, they are lampooned in movies like Scream and all the subsequent Scream sequels and, and, and so forth. Um, so I guess uh, I want to get into a couple of things that really I was taken with in this movie besides the imaginative element. One, it was the representation of the dream world. I think this movie does a better job representing how dreams feel than a movie like Inception. And I love Inception. I think it's a great movie. But Inception is like this rigorous, like, chess game slash box mm-hmm. and that's not a great that's not how dreams are dreams are like this fluid thing where things make sense at the time but don't really you know make sense when you think about them later like just last night I had a dream I was like I thought of the best movie idea and I wrote it down like on my nightstand and I woke up in the morning I read it, and I'm like this is what I thought was a good idea like <laughs> that Seinfeld episode where he writes the yeah exactly in the middle of the night. <laughs> exactly this the same thing but I think uh, Nightmare on Elm Street does a really good job of this because Freddy Freddy's the fluidity of Freddy's powers and what he's able to do something that Mike had a criticism with I think you can argue that kind of works because the movie is playing with the way that that our you know our subconscious is and, and uh, how we can make up we can basically make up and change things as we go along. And whether or not that makes it for effective narrative or not, that's a different debate. But I at least give the movie credit for kind of capturing that feeling in a way that a lot of other movies don't. Um, and the next thing I want to talk about is the acting. Apart from Tina and her boyfriend, who are cast way too old to be, you know, yeah. teenagers, <laughs> uh, the main characters in the movie, um, Johnny Depp's Glenn, and um, her name's Nancy. Is that right? right? Nancy. He- Heather Nancy, Langenkamp. Yeah. I actually do feel like they, I mean, I know they're older than the 16-year-olds are supposed to be, but I feel like they feel young enough that I buy that they're teenagers. Oh, I is, felt like they were, they felt younger to me. I thought, yeah, I especially think on, Johnny Depp. They were, they were, so one of them was killed, and on, on the news, it said a 15-year-old girl, which also made me think, like, a 15-year-old girl is having sex like she's been doing it for, like, 10 years or something. I mean, she, Yeah, Tina is way... <laughs> and, Tina looks like she's, like, in her 20s. And, yeah. and, and Tina's pillow talk with her boyfriend is, like, what a 35-year-old woman would yeah. say <laughs> to a man after having sex with him. You want a cigarette? Is, I'm going to get up and make something to eat. <laughs> you, Tarzan. Me, Jane. It's, like, it's very, uh, it's very, it's very odd. Uh, it's anachronistic about how, how they're talking uh, for their age group. But... Um, but the two central characters, I feel like, are cast appropriately, which is interesting. Yeah. Johnny um, Depp and... Uh... And I, I think Wes Craven didn't do a terrible job. A lot of the time when you watch really any movie, but especially a horror film, the high school dialogue doesn't feel like the actual way that teenagers would talk to each other. <laughs> but, but this one actually had enough of that, like, 
Yeah, like, I could see them making that type of quip. Like, it's not the most creative quip. It's just, like, a small dick joke. But it's like, ah, that's, you know, I could see a teenager There were a couple that stood out to me as being odd, like, up yours with a twirling lawnmower. I don't quite understand what that means, (laughs) really. But, (laughs) you know, but for the most part, I do technically agree with you. I think that even even just the the classroom environment doesn't feel that wrong. Um, You know, all that kind of stuff kind of works in a certain sense. Um, so another thing I really admire about this movie is how it just jumps straight into it. I think a lesser movie would have started like this. This is how uh, a, a bad version of this movie would go. The opening scene would be Freddy Krueger being burnt alive. You'd see it on screen. It'd be the prologue of the movie. And then you'd see a black title screen that read, read, 12 years later mm-hmm. and then it would uh, and yeah, then you would go into yeah. the events of the movie and then those dreams would start happening but in this movie literally the first scene is one of the dreams and then they've already jumped into this idea that Freddy Krueger the villain is infecting all their dreams all at once and I think it's efficient filmmaking which I really appreciate do you uh, does anyone else disagree with that or no, well, I, I think I, that, go ahead oh, go ahead go ahead yeah, no, I, I think you're. I think you're. I agree with you there, and I think kind of backing into the mythology, I think is is better. I like the way they do that differently. Um, I I just felt like they didn't capitalize on, on it enough. I feel like I wanted to know more about that. I felt like that was going to be crucial for me to be even more invested in the movie than I was. Like for instance, the father. Like you know, when she mentions the guy with the the green and red sweater, like you know that the police the police lieutenant who was her father. Like you can see by his face, he knows what she's talking about. But then never really circle back to that. Like, they just kind of let that just float away in the wind. And you would think that maybe that would influence his actions more if he knows that she's having the same kind of dream. Um, and then also, I just, I don't know. I didn't buy that her mother set a f- set fire to the guy well, yeah, many it is, years it ago. It is crazy like, because essentially she's revealing that her all the parents murdered a guy. Right, like, it'd be right. like your, your mom saying, oh, by the way, 10 years ago I killed somebody. Right. And I kept his claws. And it's downstairs. <laughs> right. like, I just didn't buy it. Well, they weren't I, just killing someone. They were performing vigilante justice against but uh, they murdered a guy right, like right. either way like whoever it is you still gotta live with the fact that you killed somebody right, right. so I imagine that's not easy but I, I I don't know I just didn't I didn't buy her mom as being the kind of person who could have done that and then I, it just didn't ring true to me and then um, well I mean I, I got a quick question for you because I, I am curious because this has been debated before on how clear this is do you know what Freddie's crime was she said he he was murdering children, right? He was luring them into his okay. boiler room and yeah. then probably raping what, them and then killing what them. The, what the actual, I was going to say, what the actual thing that he was doing, and they were told that they had to tone it down for the movie, but they bring it up in the sequels a little bit more clearly, he was a straight-up child molester. He was molesting the kids of Elm Street, and that's why the vigilante justice came. I thought that's what they did for the remake, but not. No, the, uh, that that's always been that's always been the lore, but they weren't allowed to say that in the earliest film. For well, one they, reason or another, they, they said he that just was killed. Them. Well, I mean, if we were talking about just this particular movie, I mean, yeah, in, in just this particular, yeah, yeah, that, and that's what I mean. But like, I think when you get through the other films and you're like, oh, yeah, no, I can understand why a group of parents would would round up and be like, look, this this dude's, you know, getting well, our kids. Hey, I mean, even if he was killing the kids, I can understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if he killed <laughs> twenty kids, I'd still say, uh, let's uh, throw him in the oven. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. Okay. Um, Maybe. So the the next. Hey, sorry. But yeah, no, no. Don't I, kill I, my I, kid. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but I think like I, I I think that that idea for me had a lot of I think had some you know, storytelling potency. Is the fact that in some way it's it's almost like the, the you know the sins of the past are kind of coming back to haunt people. That you know you can you can you know they they committed a great evil and I feel like that you know that kind of seeps through society. I feel like it's 
in many ways, um, it was kind of a commentary on just, you know, your actions have consequences. You can't cover things up. You can't whitewash stuff. Like, things come back, you know, they come back to haunt you. And I feel like in some way that was kind of what that was representing for me. So in some way, I feel like that was, it had potential for me. It just didn't, it just didn't hit home in, in the way I thought it should have. So and it's a very Wes Craven idea, though. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever saw the, the um, original Last House on the Left. And it, it's, a, no. it's a brutal, mm. brutal film, but... You know, it's a, it's a film about you know a group of people who kill uh, this family's daughter in their backyard, and then show up and act like people who had a car breakdown, and spend the night at the house. And when the parents realize who these people are, they kind of build like a home alone style trap throughout the house to kill these people. Oh, you but mean much like uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street? Where she like, oh, Wes, Wes, Wes Craven loves traps. <laughs> the old uh, sledgehammer and the hanger trick. Yeah. The Rube, but, uh, Rube Goldberg the sledgehammer. Old, the old exploding light bulb trick. But what I love about the ending of Last House on the Left is that, and I, I mean, I, I guess spoiler alert for a movie that's 40-some years old, is at the end of the movie, after they've successfully murdered the people who murdered their daughter, um... The movie just ends in a very The Graduate kind of way with these two people just looking at what they've done with the most depressed, angry look on their face because they realize that this doesn't bring their daughter back. Like, right, they've just right. become monsters themselves. And I feel like that's a very uh, common thread in a lot of Wes Craven's movies is uh, there's three things that come up in a lot of Wes Craven movies. The, the you know, the, vengeant, the vengeful act leading to not true satisfaction in the in the long run um the booby traps he loves booby traps i don't know what it is Very the profound. man loves booby traps <laughs> and him doing a thing that i think he does a ton where you introduce a character that you think is going to be the main character and then you kill them off first right. because oh, yeah, the first time i watched this movie i thought that tina was going to be so the main I, character yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, 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 so, and and obviously that was a huge deal with a movie like scream where Drew Barrymore is literally in all the advertisements. She, mm-hmm. I think she's even on the poster. Yeah. I mean, they make that movie seem like it's about Drew Barrymore and she dies in the first 10 minutes. The old Ned right. Stark trick. Yeah, yeah, the old Ned Stark. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, I want to go back real quick. Spoilers for Game of Thrones. <laughs> D- Dave, Dave, you got to know. Anyway, um, so uh, we touched on something a little just a second ago about um, the fact that, you know, the ending of House on the Left about, you know, vengeance and all that stuff. And I feel like that's kind of, see, for me... I, horror movies need to serve a purpose and they need to be saying something profound in order for me to like sit through them and stomach them and be like okay like because I think if it's going to turn your stomach it needs a good reason for doing that I think you know to, to show something about you know humanity for fun it's like for me I'm like I just watched a bunch of people get murdered for fun like that was not <laughs> my idea of recreation but if you're trying to make an, a statement about like the idea of, of how vengeance can overtake you and turn you into a monster, monster yourself I think that's kind of like where I fall and like yeah, that, that was effective that was, that was well done I like that um, and I just I don't I don't know what this movie was trying to say. I think it was just for fun. I think it was just for funsies. Well, like, well, what is with the ending? Can we talk about no, the ending. No, that's what I want to get into. Yeah. And I think that one of the great flaws of this movie in, in rewatching it is I think that the ending undermines the entire damn movie. And I actually really hated the ending of this movie. Well, now I did read that <laughs> well, that so wasn't supposed you to be. You and Wes Craven have that in common. <laughs> yeah, he was. He wanted to be happy, and they get in the car and they drive away, well, and well, they well, wanted well, to make well, a sequel or whatever. But well, the, the, uh, we the, all watch the same movie. I mean, the ending's dark. Yeah, yeah well, let's explain. <laughs> let's explain what happens. So, um, basically, Nancy supposedly figures out a way to bring Freddy from the dream world into reality. 
which I'm still not quite sure of the the logic behind. But you just you just grab them and wake up. Right. Well, okay. So that happens usually through the ear. <laughs> and then um, she basically finishes off Freddy Krueger, and then the end of the movie does this like it turns into like the beginning of. David Lynch's Blue Velvet. It's like this surreally, like too happy suburban town <laughs> on a sunny day, yeah, and right. the mo- all the kids are alive. No one has died. They get into this bright red convertible, and all of a sudden the top comes down, and it's painted the colors of Freddy's sweater. <laughs> the 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 uh, the windows go up, and all of a sudden it's terrifying. They're locked <laughs> in as it drives <laughs> away, and then <laughs> the mom is dragged into the house by a still very much alive or present Freddy Krueger and the movie ends. So Matt, starting with you and then we'll go to Dave afterwards. Matt, what the heck is, what, what, what is the ending? What, what, what happened? Well, here, let's, so, let, so, hang on, let, let me pose the question. Let's talk about what he originally intended and what that was supposed to mean and then what actually happened and what the hell that was supposed to mean. Because I feel like <laughs> so, either one of those didn't really. So he, so the way that he's explained it and I, I will recommend if you can find any interviews of Wes Craven talking about film, he is one of my favorite people to listen talk about film not just hard just film in general i mean this is a man who literally only agreed to do scream two and three if he was allowed to make music of the heart because that was the film he really truly wanted to make um with meryl streep right with meryl streep so he's he's a very unique individual in that sense um he believed that the film the, the film should end with heather saying you have no power over me i refuse to believe in you Nancy and or yeah, Na- sorry, Nancy. Right. Okay. Uh, Heather would be the actress uh, with Nancy right. saying that and Freddie losing his power. That that he's the the message being essentially that the only you know the the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The only power that these that evil has over you is the ability to to make you scared, and that her becoming empowered, she's able to survive this horror where everyone else succumbed to the fear of Freddie. Uh, and that was his ending. It was Freddie's gone. She survived. That's it. Uh, and then the way he puts it is Bob Shea went and saw Friday the 13th and Carrie and decided that every horror movie needs to have some jump scare at the end and refused to let the movie be released unless they put a jump scare at the end of the movie. And that they had shot like seven or eight different endings where it was like Freddie was driving the car. Freddie is the car. And he's, like, <laughs> and somehow, he's like, it somehow became this like seven or eight different people's ideas just mashed into one ending that doesn't make any sense and he you know hates it and he hates pretty much every freddy sequel that came after it that's why there's that joke in scream where where drew barrymore says well the first one was good but the rest suck hmm. um he he really did not like what became of the character and you know like i said earlier the character was a child molester and this is a guy who this is a character that became so ingrained in pop culture that there were children's jammies of Freddy. Like you right. could buy Seriously? children's Freddy jammies. Yeah. So you could wear. And they, and they made light of that. And they made children. light of that. Yeah, they made light of that in the uh, the meta one, the uh, new nightmare, where they had like screaming kid fans like lining up to see Robert Englund at, at one point in the movie. Which uh, I mean, I know we're not talking about new nightmare, but that is also my favorite scene in the movie because everyone's standing around Robert England and Heather's like looking at her watch, just waiting to go home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, I, now I'm reading on, on Wikipedia. I had, I actually didn't know that there was another ending to this movie. This felt like the kind of movie that, that was low budget enough that he would have made the movie he wanted to make. 
So, uh, well, I guess I guess the reason it bugs me so much is um, it undermines the entire message of the movie. A like this idea yep. that if, if the message of the movie is that you need to learn to overcome your fear by facing it, which I think is actually a pretty good message. Like you're talking about, and they, like, they explicitly say that they say like you know you face your you face things. That's who you are. It, like and then <laughs> and then they have this like ending that just uh, it doesn't work. I, I actually would have preferred. If they ended it where she does end up killing Kruger, but or just you know dismissing Kruger, but they didn't do this like rewind thing where everyone's alive, like then then your movie has no consequences either. Like it's like this kind of I kind of wanted a middle ground between whatever the heck the movie is ending is, which I don't quite understand, and the super happy ending. I kind of want somewhere in the middle, but yeah, it just. As I was watching it, it just felt very bizarre. And the fact that you're telling me that it wasn't his intention makes total sense because it just doesn't make a whole yeah. lot uh, of uh, – it doesn't work very well. And, and what is the – so his motivation – in uh, the entire movie, it seems like he's just going after kids, I guess. Um, he's going after the kids of the parents who killed him. Right. So then why does he then go after her mom at the end of the movie? Like, it seems like it was almost like at the end, it's like he doesn't even care about Nancy. He's running upstairs to get to the mom. And you're wondering, like, was he trying to get to her the whole time? Like, what? Why not just haunt her nightmare directly? Why did he have, like, I, it's, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I have to say both. I mean, the, the ending that I watched bothered me a lot less than the ending that Wes Craven I mean what, if this is true what I'm reading what, uh, what? what I'm reading is this is Wes Craven originally planned for the film to have a more evocative ending Nancy the, the, the final girl kills Freddy Krueger by ceasing to believe in him then awakens to discover that everything in the film that everything that had happened in the film was an elongated nightmare uh, and instead the uh, the new line the chief the new line leader wanted a twist ending where it was a dream within a dream within a dream or whatever it was whatever the ending actually was to me, it was just uh, nobody gets out. That, that was how it ended. Nothing bothers me more than when a filmmaker or a writer pulls their punches when they say it's all been a dream or when they kill a character off and bring them back. That's a trope that's been used in movies recently, and any time it happens, I get pissed off. So if I watch a movie <laughs> and all of a sudden the filmmaker's saying it never happened, it was all a dream, I mean, I, I mean, I would have hated the ending of this movie if that was the ending of the movie. No, but I don't think... I. I guess I, I guess now that we're we're talking about it, 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 like you're saying, it seemed as if yes, it was it was all a dream the whole time. I, for me, I, it seemed to me that she reversed everything, like that it actually had happened, and she was able to just somehow reverse everything and make it okay again. Or I guess I mean, uh, it, look, either way, either way, I mean, come on. I mean, uh, I, I feel like the, the, for the most part, the movie ended the way it probably deserved to end, which is, you know, you're not quite sure. I mean, just like when you're in a dream, you're not sh- you're not quite sure if it's really happening or if it's a dream. So it's the freaking Inception it's, spinning it's, top it's, it's, ending. It's spinning top ending. I but guess. This, uh, I guess. But it, I mean, but again, to bounce off of what um, Ivan had said earlier about, you know, this this depiction of dreams versus Inception's depiction of dreams. I, I feel like this movie, and they definitely lost the ability to do this in a lot of the future films, but this movie does a really good job of it shifting from reality into a dream in a seamless way where you, you know, you have to watch it once or twice to really catch the exact moment where it goes from reality to when she fell asleep and went into a dream world. And it's kind of, I, I kind of like that. I like the scene in the classroom is one of my favorite yeah, scenes in any horror movie because it's just it's a normal classroom and then all of a sudden there's this slow talking and everything's slowing down oh, and, and the kid reading just... <laughs> reading uh, Shakespeare yeah. and that weird yeah. voice yeah. and then when she when she walks out of the classroom everybody in the classroom is sitting like completely stock still the hall pass girl is kind of creepy <laughs> yeah yeah 
Oh, when she's walking, that was one, when she's walking down the stairs, and they're all grimy, and it's like no students allowed. Right. Like, oh, I don't like yeah. where this is going. I mean, yeah. Wes Craven. When you when you say there's when you were telling me uh, telling us earlier, Matt, that there's a few tropes that Wes Craven sticks to. It, I feel like there's uh, a few things that he does in almost every movie he's made, at least that I've seen. Where <laughs> it's it's all it's always a, a, a girl. I mean, horror films are very uh, a very female. I mean, you, Female empowered uh, genre, I, I, I would say. I mean, it, it's, you know, I guess you could you could go, but you could say it either way. You could say it's it, they're very they make females into victims, but they also are really good about making females into strong-willed uh, heroines. Like the strongest female characters tend to be in science fiction horror films, right? Like uh, yeah. uh, Sarah Connor in Terminator, or Ripley in, in Alien or in Aliens, and uh, um, you could say like Nev Campbell in the Scream movies, or or Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween. I mean. You know these these characters are typically the ones that uh, that come out on top, um, and ha, come on guys! <laughs> I mean, I just look, look at each other. Sorry, sorry. They win, right? They usually come out victors in the end. And you're not going to look at each other for that one. Okay, fine. Good. Well, I've I've heard an argument, and I and I think it's a very interesting argument, and it's something that I find a lot of fun in doing when I watch horror movies. Now, is that I've heard this theory that there is two types of characters that survive a horror movie. There's a final girl and there's a survivor girl. And the difference What's is the that first the, fi- one? Fi- the final girl? The final girl. The one who's last and the one who stays last. And okay. there's even yeah. a movie coming out called The Final Girls or mm-hmm. The Final Girl. Yeah. Well, the, the idea being that the final girl does nothing to survive. She just happens to survive through, mm. through pure running in the right direction and escaping. Whereas the survivor girl fights back for her for her, and, uh, and I guess fights it, for her right to I party. guess in this case, <laughs> Nancy yeah. is is the is the latter. She's the fighter. Which I think she is a survivor girl. Versus like even if you watch Halloween, um, you know Jamie Lee Curtis spends a lot more of that movie hiding in a closet crying than actively fighting back against Michael Myers. There's not a lot of her and Michael Myers in that movie. Having just recently rewatched it, it's just it, yeah. it's really just the last 10, 15 minutes, and up until then, it's all uh, build up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think talking about Final Girls is a good way to close out this podcast. Um, <laughs> um, uh, anyone, any, I want to offer any final thoughts about this film um, or about Wes Craven in general before we close out. Well, I'll just say that I feel like having rewatched um, at least the first ten minutes of Scream uh, recently and uh, a new nightmare in the past couple of days, uh, I feel like Wes Craven really hit his stride probably in the mid early to mid nineties to be perfectly frank. I mean, I, th- I think that a new nightmare was the sign of, uh, to be perfectly, what's so funny about that? Carry on Dave. <laughs> Focus Dave. Um, whatever. <laughs> it's nothing. Just go. I mean, a nightmare on Elm Street was the oh sign God. of a, of a creative mind of someone who is willing to, uh, be inventive with the genre. And, uh, I feel like eventually he would, he would, uh, pay off, uh, in that, there was a, that talent, Later on in his career, um, even with a movie like Red Eye, have you seen Red Eye? I with, have. Um, yeah, with I the, actually saw it in theaters, which right. was a pretty decent thriller. That's with Killian Murphy, right? with Killian Murphy and Rachel McAdams, except and, for the last half hour. But up until that, pretty good thriller. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty <laughs> decent thriller. You know, Scream, Red Eye. I uh, haven't seen music for the for the music uh, of the heart, so I don't know how scary that is. Not <laughs> not very scary. I'm assuming not very scary. Uh-huh. Um, is it a horror movie or is it? No, it's no, a movie no, about a woman teaching inner city kids to play violin. No, yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah, you see it directed by Wes Craven, you're like, what? It's like when, it's like when uh, Mel Brooks produced The Fly. You're like, what? <laughs> so, 
anyway, so I'll just say that. I think Wes Craven eventually would make some pretty solid, good movies. Uh, and, and to me, I know when Emmerich Elm Street is, is being, is kind of, uh, uh, you know, seen as a horror kind of, I don't know, masterpiece. I mean, do people call it a horror masterpiece? I don't know. A, bit, a great horror film. I think it's just an okay movie, an okay horror movie. I think I respect the movie. Fun, but not yeah, that scary. I, I think my final thought about the movie after watching it now for the first time all the way through, it is a movie that I think I admire and respect for its creativity more than I think it's actually a genuinely great movie. But at the same time, like you said, Dave, I think Wes Craven has a knack for certain visuals and ideas that he ends up really paying off later in his career. So this is a really, um, this is a really and obviously this movie gives us Freddy Krueger, the most one of the most iconic movie characters of all time. So for all those reasons, the movie is very much warranted in its praise and acclaim, but it's not a movie that I just look back and be like, wow, what a great crafted film so I guess that's what I would say yeah you hit the nail I think I totally agree with you I think like the creativity and what they do with things um, very unique has its own unique voice but uh, I think the structure in the story is what I think ends up I think that's that's its its downfalls I don't think it's as ironclad as it could be there so um, and um, and Matt I know you love it so that's great I'm glad you were here I'm glad (laughs) you were on this podcast to provide a lot of perspective that we wouldn't have had otherwise (laughs) well I'd like to um I like to say one thing about Wes Craven that I've heard a couple people point out, and I, I think that it's uh, an interesting thing that's easy for people to forget or or to ignore. And the thing is, with Wes Craven did something that I think very few filmmakers have ever achieved, and that is, within a span of three decades, he made three very different films that were defining of their eras. He made Last House on the Left, which is a definitive grindhouse movie he made freddy krueger which was a definitive slasher film and then he made scream in the 90s which revolutionized and brought back the slasher genre and that's something that that really deserves to be kind of honored and respected because not a lot of people get to to have three big moments in three different decades did Last House come up before Texas Chainsaw? Or, yep, or? 72. It did. Okay. So I think that's actually a really beautiful way to end it. And uh, the legacy of Wes Craven um, and what he's contributed to cinema and why we're, you know, you know that now that he has uh, passed away, why it's important to remember what, you know, he's made. So, Matt, uh, where can people find you on the Internet if they'd like to learn more about your incredible knowledge of horror movies? <laughs> uh, well, if you want to uh, check out a podcast that talks about horror movies but mostly in the most uh profane vulgar and trying to go more for the com- the, the comedy angle of of horror uh check out horror movie night uh you can check it out at soundcloud.com backslash horror movie night uh the episode that'll be up later this week is the ruins uh the episode that's currently out right now is on whatever happened to baby jane so uh, we cover all types of varieties uh, from, from black and white films from the 60s starring Betty Davis to really god-awful films about killer vines made in 2008. Awesome. And uh, Mike, where can people find you on the internet? Before I go real quick, hey, Matt, are you from New York by chance? Because you say horror as well, and I often say horror and get a lot of crap for it. And apparently it's horror. Uh, Philadelphia. That's close enough. Yeah, it's northeast. <laughs> that, that'll do it. Um, anyway. I didn't realize there was a difference. Horror? Yeah. I, yes. Horror? Horror? Yeah, I see things like forehead and forest and orange and, yeah. What's forehead? Like forehead. Oh. Wow. Okay. Anyway. All right. You know uh, it's an O there, not an A, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I do. See, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> you can find me 
on Twitter uh, at Mike Morandi and at MikeMorandi.com. Dave. Dave Glanz on Twitter, G-L-A-N-Z, and DaveGlanzProductions.com. And you can find me at Ivan Kander on Twitter. That's K-A-N-D-E-R. My website is Lucky9Studios.com, and I'm right in edit for website. Mike, what's it called? Shortoftheweek.com. There oh, it is. The so that's the website I write <laughs> now. for. So, uh, uh, Short of the week. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And uh, next time we are going to be discussing what, Mike? We're going to pay tribute to your Italian heritage. <laughs> <laughs> going to watch The Godfather. We're going to watch a little... A breezy little ditty. Uh, a, little. a small little, <laughs> little film called The Godfather. Short film. Short film. A few people might um, uh, One of the, supposedly the greatest films of all time. So we'll be discussing that film. If you want to like us on the web, you can do so at facebook.com slash reviewedpodcast. You can check out our website reviewedpodcast.com and be sure to subscribe and give us a review on iTunes. iTunes. That always helps. Until next time, thanks so much. And uh, do you want to, uh, uh, Matt, can you give me a little bit of Freddie's uh, song? The, uh, uh, the the nursery rhyme? Anyone can uh, do that? Like, do you want me to say it or send you an audio clip of it? Uh, there, there's Dave. There's Dave. I, think, Dave. I think we can wrap it up. I think we're good. There we go. There we go. All right. That's good. Thank you. terrible movie is it a terrible movie no, terrible. <laughs> you mean the number one rated movie of all time yeah that's a terrible okay. movie okay here we go hello <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome. All right, here we go. To the Reviewed Movie Podcast. Right, I am your right. host, Ivan Kander. All right.